we're not claiming to be right here. And in fact, we're not looking to be right. We're looking to get deeper into the issue. Yeah. We haven't said anything funny yet, so <laughs> trying to figure it out. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I'm Keith. I'm Keith. I'm John. I'm Renee. And it's okay if you're not okay. Today we're doing something a little different in our podcast. And we're actually going to be responding to a current conversation happening in our community right now. uh, Wrestling with the ways in which mental health and public health intersect, compete, or not. And so we're going to jump into that a little bit. But first, our housekeeping items. Um, Just a reminder that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Johnson County Mental Health Center or Johnson County Government. And today that's especially important because we're all coming uh, into this conversation with some professional knowledge and expertise, but also with our own personal perspectives on this. Uh, Just as a reminder, if this is the first episode you listen to, John and Renee are both mental health clinicians who are team leaders as a part of our organization. Kate is part of our community prevention team, and she has a master's in public health. Uh, I do communications for the Mental Health Center, and my background is in theology and public policy. And so we are going to be wrestling from those perspectives, sharing some of that professional perspective, but also our own ways that we've been wrestling with it personally. So uh, to start it off, let's, let's talk about the ways that public health and mental health do compete or not, or intersect or not. And then later on, let's shift into, now that we've laid out all this groundwork from maybe a theoretical perspective, how does it change the way we live? John, do you want us to get us started? Absolutely. So, you know, I understand public health to really be about preventing disease. And I think that it's understood by a lot of people as important. Everyone is considering their physical health to one degree or another. Um, I think one of the biggest differences between public health and mental health, at least in people's minds, is that not as many people may be connected to the fact that that they have mental health too. It's one of my favorite things to say to people is that everybody has mental health, but for some reason there is this belief um, um, that you only have mental health if you've got a mental health problem. Um, whereas you, everybody has physical health, whether they have a physical health problem or not. Mental health is um, you know, conceptualized a little bit different, I think. Um, and, and the other difference is, is that public health deals with diseases that present very similarly in the vast majority of people, right? So everybody has maybe had, not everybody, but many people have had the flu. It presents very similarly in most people. We can relate around our experiences of that. And the treatment is pretty much the same too. Whereas in mental health, treatment is highly individualized uh, because the impact is very individual and the cause is very individual. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but there are some differences um, between the two. Yeah. Kate, I'm really curious to hear uh, from your public health background, how you would describe public health and how that is similar or different to how John just described it. Yeah, so I describe um, public health as promoting and protecting the health of the people within the community where they're living, they're working, they're playing, um, as well as promoting wellness by encouraging healthy behaviors. So I think of mental health as public health. I think of them um, very similarly, but it's just promoting the wellness of our community 
whether that be our mental health, our physical health, our general well-being. So that's a little bit about how I view public health. Everything's interconnected. Yeah. I think one of the things that really jumps out to me, Kate, about how you explain it, and John, you too, when we talk about public health, the, the first word in that phrase is public. And it really points to the overall health of a community. And there's a lot of data involved and in tracking the ways in which uh, different behaviors uh, are trending over a whole group of people. And then what behaviors or what things need to change to help uh, make the community as a whole be healthier. Uh, and that's often a different way than how I, and likely you and you, our listeners, think about your own personal health or your own uh, both physical and mental health, or even maybe just your families. I think often when we think about those, it's uh, I'm experiencing these symptoms. Uh, it's impacting me this way. I need to get some help. This is the treatment that I need to undergo. This is the medicine I need to take. These are the actions or diet I need to change to be healthier. Uh, and so all of a sudden we start talking about public health when uh, the like primary unit that we're measuring is the community as a whole. It's not each individual. And it's a really different way to think about health and the way that we interact with one another. Well, I think I probably come with an even uh, another, a fourth opinion, right? Another unique opinion here. I have not really considered public health much in my career path and in my experience, even just as a lay person hanging out and, and working and living in Johnson County. It's just not something that I have taken the time to um, look into and learn more about. And so when in the midst of this pandemic and I'm learning about public health crisis, I go to, oh, public health deals with this specific contagion, right? Something is contagious. Something is out there for people to catch and they've got to do their best to identify it and plan for it and give us the antidote. And yes, I am playing about five movies scenes in my head right now. Uh, I have so many friends that just like binge watched every pandemic movie on every streaming service for these last six months. And John like, is like, me too. Yes, kudos <laughs> to those streaming services because they just plopped them back up in their rotation and then all of a sudden outbreak is number one. And I'm like, really guys, really? <laughs> You know, I was coming from a really, really narrow scope, a really narrow view of what public health was. And I'm like, you can't, you know, mental health isn't contagious. You're not catching it from your neighbor. What do these two have to do with one another? But then as I em embraced the position of mental health and learned about it more, right? I had to purposely seek out what is our Department of Health and Environment? What is our medical director doing like, whoa, this is a really new thing for me, really getting to an understanding that it is so much more than just sitting around waiting for this contagion to happen, right? It is so much education and promotion of wellness and health to get back to what you guys are talking about. And then I kind of had a, a heart sink moment, like, man, I wish mental health was a huge part of that. I, I wish that that was in the conversation and in the thread um, of our public health conversation. And guys, this is just my, again, just my story because I do not go out and seek this information out. I have not done this before the pandemic. So, um, so I, I really hope some listeners out there can relate to me who have not engaged yeah. in what public health is before all of this. Yeah. 
I'm actually um, intrigued and, and kind of encouraged by the conversation that is happening around mental health in this community. You know, I, I agree with some of it. I disagree with other parts of it. That's not really what this is about. But I, I'm the same way, Renee. I, as somebody who's worked primarily in mental health for his entire career, that's my view of, of, of the world. And I'm, I am kind of heavy on that um, lens when I'm having conversations with people um, in, these, in these tough situations and these, these seemingly lose-lose situations where things might be in opposition of one another. That's really interesting, your reflection on this is your first sort of formal interaction with public health, because right now, the idea of public health is definitely, this might be the first time a lot of people have intersected with public health. Yes. I've even thinking about, um, my job used to be to run the live feed for the Board of County Commissioner meetings, and the number of people who are engaging now is probably exponentially larger than it was before the pandemic, because there's all of a sudden an increased interest. And so, for many people, the only personal experience they have intersecting with public health is as public health is responding to a pandemic, responding to really a crisis situation. And so in the midst of any crisis, the, the thing that you are talking about the most is that crisis uh, and not some of the other things. At the same time, I know from my experience working with uh, our county government for a couple of years now that the Health and, health and environment has had mental health as a part of their strategic planning for years, maybe decades, as a part of, of public health. Uh, just, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, they did a public health survey, and it probably has more formal language than that, but uh, surveying thousands and thousands of Johnson County residents and then putting together a, a health profile, public health profile for Johnson County. Part of that is tracking mental health and tracking that data and then trying to figure out what, uh, what initiatives or um, strategies need to do to improve those areas. But another thing that's important to understand about the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment is there one departments uh, in county government and Johnson County Mental Health Center is another one of those. And so there's going to be ways in which they may not do as many of their own initiatives around mental health because there's a whole nother department, us, that, that's doing that on a daily basis. Well, I think it's it's interesting, again, as I ingest, I love saying that word, I don't know why, ingest <laughs> this information, because that's what I'm doing. I feel like I have to ingest it and digest it and make sense of it. But yeah. we, we, I hear this term so much in my work life, in my personal life, in just conversations that I am having everywhere is this no win or lose-lose. I'm hearing that so much. And first of all, that is not a strengths-based approach that I'm typically used to in my little kind of like bubbly, sing-songy, optimistic world that I like living in. Um, like, wait a minute, hold on, lose, lose, and no win. This sounds like a miserable plan. Who came up with this one? Um, but, but really diving into the word we've used here a lot on our podcast is the dialectic, right? Where two things can be true at the same time, even if those things are in conflict or kind of uh, create some some tension or, or are contradictory of one another, right? And so I think I love that perspective that, that I think John and I get to bring as this dialectic that we use in treatment a lot, this concept of just because two things are true and in opposition doesn't make one better than the other, doesn't, one, doesn't make one right and one wrong. Like, so it's not public health is better than mental health, mental health, mental health is right. Um, it's sitting in where these two things are true 
okay, so now that I know that and I believe that, I've got to go out and seek out conversations and experiences that help me wrestle with it. This being one of them, I've learned so much just from listening to the three of you talk uh, about this, that I'm wrestling with my own dialectic of what is, what is true and how am I, how do I find wins in this so-called no-win situation? It's hard. Well, one of the things that makes me think of is when you talk about kind of that lose-lose situation and how um, the two come together, one of the things I think is important to mention is that it doesn't need to be an either-or situation where I think it's important that we listen to what our public health experts are saying about the importance of protecting our community and what that looks like while also validating that I'm, I don't argue one bit that people's mental health during COVID um, has been significantly impacted. So instead of saying it has to be one way or the other, how can we protect the health of the community while also protecting our own mental wellness, which is one of the eight dimensions and SAMHSA's eight dimensions of wellness, uh, where everything comes together for the whole person's mental and physical well-being and so I think it's important to mention that there's ways that we can protect both aspects and not having to be either or and both still be true to that person. Absolutely. The, the trap of black and white thinking is something that I would really like to challenge uh, our listeners. I challenge the people in my personal life to move away from um, that these situations, when we go one trumps the other, or this is better than that, my view is right, this is wrong. Really, it's not about coming up with right and wrong. It's more about coming up with rec reconciliation and, and balance between the two. So it's not about what's right or what's wrong. It's how much deeper can we understand the issue, move further into the gray, everybody is going through this um, right now and, and, and these, these seemingly lose-lose situations. Um, it's really about how do we reconcile these two things um, and how do we understand them more deeply and then what do we do with that from there? I think there's a sort of a philosophical reality there just about how we interact with the world. You think about just historically the way that we've um, interacted with the world. And, and by we, I mean um, Western civilization. Uh, there's definitely some cultural pieces that are shifted even within Western civilization. But this idea of the enlightenment and modernity and this desire to be able to have um, an empirical explanation for every piece and everything lines up with the scientific experiment and being able to measure and, and shape it. And so then when you have two different things that seem in competition with each other, the temptation uh, from that perspective is also is often to measure them both and then to see which one's winning. And I think that this uh, sort of philosophical approach, although for most of us, this is just our natural way of interacting with the world, we wouldn't call it philosophy, is uh, we have a really hard time when we can't measure up two different things and then make a decision about which one's better. We often have a lot of hard time wrestling with dialectics, uh, to use Renee's term, or mystery or uncertainties, or an I don't know, and just being okay with that. I think when we have a hard time really measuring those and figuring out where each of them lands, um, we struggle with that. I'm thinking about my own life, and so right now I'm working from home, and two of my kids are, are doing school remotely, and there's 
definitely challenges there. And so I have the, re- the reality of public health guidelines, so specific things the government said. Then I have my own personal opinions about those public health guidelines and what me and my family should and shouldn't be doing in the ways that we interact with folks. Then I have my own personal mental health where I'm trying to figure out how in the world can I report, record a podcast when my kids are all on Zoom at the same time uh, trying to do school. And, and so all these realities are happening at once. And so I, the internal or the natural urge I have is to figure out which one is the most important. And I have to follow that one when, when really I, I might need to step back from that and figure out how can I have these things exist at the same time? How can I uh, engage in, in positive, beneficial public health practices while at the same time taking care of my own mental health and, and taking care of my family's emotional health? Yeah, and, and I just want to say, so, I mean, Keith, first of all, thanks for sharing. Second, congratulations, because that is a lot to, to, to juggle and maneuver but also the congratulations. My third point is that you've been able to step outside of it. I think that's really hard. I think that is the hardest. This is what I wrestle with every single day is just getting locked. Uh, Yesterday, I was so instantly emotional over something repeatedly throughout the day. Yes, it's gotten better with sleep, but I felt myself not giving myself permission to step outside of it, Renee, look at it from a 20,000 foot view. Don't stay in it. Ask somebody else. Changing the way we do things and think about things is extremely different when everything around us feels so uncertain or we feel that everything around us isn't going our way or we don't agree with everything around us. But the one thing I have really tried to challenge myself with during this time, and guys, it has been hard. I have had hard days. I have had to go back and apologize to people uh, a little, little more often. And Keith knows that if I'm going to say sorry, my behavior better change because yep. I don't believe in sorries that don't have a uh, behavior change after them. Um, yep. But that my opinions and beliefs only come from the information that I already know. I don't, I don't make up opinions based on- Can we just on- pause right there? Like that's, you said that really simply and you're just going to move on, but that's a super profound thought. My okay, I'm just first of all, I'm gonna blush because Keith called me profound. <laughs> <laughs> My opinions only come from the information that I know. Yeah, so if I want to, if I don't. I guess my thing is, I don't want to encourage people to change their opinion, I don't want to change my opinion. But do you have uh, more information, all the information, a little bit more of the information? And so I've encouraged myself to, to get little bits more of information here and there and then go, did my opinion change? Yes or no? Okay, cool. Let's keep moving. Because in the conversations I'm having with people and the information I'm trying to get from different reputable resources, it's not to change my opinion. It's just to make sure that I feel comfortable with my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that ultimately we would all love to have solutions for some of these big things. And I would encourage people to move away from solutions and work on progress and process. So when we do solution only, I think of that arcade game, whack-a-mole, right? You, You hit one down, another one pops up. And so if you are constantly just trying to solve, 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 rather than come up with good progress, 
make progress on good processes that will ultimately over time reduce risk um, is, um, you know, and, and that comes with more data, more experimentation, and a, a perspective shift for a lot of um, a, a lot of people, and really all people in a, in a particular community. So I, I do think it's really important that we do not pit these two things against each other, but rather triage and prioritize what's most important right now, while trying to get up on the balcony and look at this whole thing, and say, okay, where where needs the most attention right now, but what else is going to need attention in the future? I think what's important to remember in that, the idea of process that you were talking about, John, and then Renee, what you were mentioning about my opinions based on the information I already know, and so adding more in, we have to have a willingness when we're uh, interacting with new pieces of information to allow that to shape our opinion or to at least, at the very least, assess that new piece of information from a, a neutral standpoint in some in some way. I think we uh, have come to maybe some conclusion based on the information we already have. We feel grounded in that conclusion. And so then when people present information that might contradict with that conclusion, I think that a nat one natural tendency can be to disregard that information or to reinterpret it based on the opinion we've already made instead of pausing really uh, analyzing and thinking about that new information and figuring out if there's anything in what I already know that needs to change because of that information. Sometimes the answer is no, right? Sometimes we get, somebody tells us something or we read an article that we read it and we assess it honestly and genuinely and we decide, you know what, I cannot accept this. This does not seem like it has any scientific backing. This seems very biased. This is, seems like it's all opinion or this seems like it has different values than what I feel comfortable with. So I'm not going to add that to my plethora of information on which I'm basing my opinion. But most of the time, even from folks that we disagree with, there's something that we can learn. There's something that, that can help us to learn, change, and grow because of that relationship or because of the new pieces of information that we're consuming. Keith, do you believe that all people can learn, grow, and change? I believe that all people can learn, change, and grow. Yes, yes. So do I. I also believe people are doing their best. <laughs> uh, you know, so new listeners, this goes back to our first couple episodes. Uh, a very, uh, we've had a few different conversations about the idea of whether or not people are always doing the best they can. And I have to tell you that I have used that phrase much more than I used to. And I've come to terms with it. But that is a perfect example of a time that somebody used a phrase that I it was different than what I believed at the time. And then I intersected with it and thought about it for a long time. And over months, I've integrated that into my worldview. Not yep. 100%, but 80%. And that's it's cool. changed the way that I, I think about people. Uh, and so that's a, that's a great example. I wonder if we might shift just a, a slight bit. Um, I, want, I want us to get to the application of like what this means for us. But even before we get there, uh, I was reminded of a, something Renee said a, a few days ago. So let's step out of the world of a pandemic for a second and just think about when we face difficult situations, especially very difficult situations, what is there to learn about mental health when we think about those? The pandemic's tough. We go through other types of tough times too, and we still have to think about our mental health in the midst of those other tough times. So are there universal truths about our mental health during tough times that can be applied to the pandemic that aren't necessarily confined to only a situation where there's a pandemic? 
honestly, I think what Kate says comes to my mind uh, first and foremost. And so maybe after I uh, share my opinion, I'm going <laughs> to pitch it over to Kate because she talks about resiliency so much in just, just personal experiences and stories of the individuals that she intersects with. And so I think resiliency is something we can't forget about. Um, so Kate, stay tuned and start your resiliency speech. That's going to come your way. Um, you know, we talk about triggers and stressors and hard times. Whatever word you want to put um, or, or describe that or use, feel free. I don't care. Use whatever word you want. But the reality is, Keith, exactly what you said. We are all going to come face to face with some hard times, uh, with something that really might just kind of shake us to our core. And it might impact each one of our mental health different than our neighbor and our friend and our loved one. And so it's about saying when that stressor or that negative situation, um, when I experienced that and all of the sudden I feel different, I'm acting different, I'm behaving different, I can't make sense of things the same, seeking help. That's exactly what we at the Mental Health Center do. People come to us when things aren't the same. So pandemic, illness, unemployment, loss, grief, uh, uh, death. Uh, there are so many. We intersect with those all the time. And we are resilient people, Kate. Tell me you agree with that. <laughs> totally agree. My mind is racing right now with all kinds of different thoughts, so I have to try to streamline. But I think resilience is absolutely one of the key factors in this. And it's not just ability to bounce back, but the ability to bounce forward mm. and to use those experiences. We're human. We're going to go through difficult times. It's Unfortunately, it's just going to happen. So it's using those lessons to learn from so that when we move forward, we can have different outcomes, we can learn from them, but also just show our own strength and determination. And I think we as humans are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And I think it's important to recognize that. And I also think, and you guys can uh, argue with me on this one if you want, but I also think the importance of finding the things within our circumstances that we can control so what are some of the actionable items? You know, maybe I need to work out for 30 minutes a day to um, get some of those feel-good endorphins going so that my mental health can be improved. And that's something that's within my control when things around me um, feel out of control. And I think that's something that can really help us on the journey as well. And we are just showing resilience all the time. So... I'll get off my soapbox, but I'm a big resilience believer. I knew, you, I knew you'd get on it. I invited yeah. you to get on it. Couldn't agree more, Kate, Renee. Uh, Keith, you asked great questions. This, mm -hmm. this, it took made questions that make you step back for a second mm -hmm. and kind of um, take note. I had a lot of thoughts based on that question and kind of what are the key themes. Here are the thing, here's the thing is before, after COVID, we're still going to have mental health. Mm -hmm. but we're still going to have issues that impact our mental health and they just might be more unique to us and and actually that makes them a little bit sneakier sometimes too 
um, and a little bit easier to hide. Um, and those things haven't gone away just because of this. They're still here too. They may have been here before and afterwards. I think one of our greatest strengths and one of our greatest vulnerabilities as humans is a short memory. Um, so, so we oftentimes forget how hard things are um, and we make mistakes over and over again. Um, but there's also a strength within that too, is that we're willing to try again um, and fail again and learn and re-engage. Um, so um, I, I think Kate hit on, on, on a really good kind of key, no matter what you're going through, control versus non-control. What, what can you control versus what you can't? Um, I think the other one is that we're all in recovery. We are all in the process of overcoming something. Um, and we can't do this alone. We are strong and we have strengths, but we're not strong enough to handle whatever's coming our way um, alone. It's not about independence. It's about interdependence. There is help available. And then I'll just be cliche. It's okay if you are not okay, right? Love I just it. want to add, so John, you mentioned that we're all in recovery, which I think is really great to mention. And I'd be remiss to not also add to that, that recovery is not linear. Mm -hmm. So give yourself grace as you are going through it. It's going to be up, down, sideways. You're going to be doing some loop-de-loops along the way. <laughs> and that is normal. And so just give yourself grace as you're navigating what that looks like for you. I love the idea of spheres of control. Uh, we've talked about that a lot through the pandemic. Uh, for me, that's been a mindfulness exercise that I found to be helpful often. I also was thinking it's, it's really great to plug um, our now most listened to episode. I think it's episode 18, Keith, the coffee thief. We talked about hope and what hope means. That's our most listened to episode right now because we're hopeful that things are going to get better. Um, so overall, we, we've talked around mental health and public health a lot at this point. Um, I think overall, we all would agree that uh, we should follow public health guidelines and in the midst of those, figure out how to take care of our mental health. And so I want to talk about now, what are some practical ways that we can do that? How can we continue to take care of our mental health, care for the mental health of our families, while at the same time following public health guidelines? I'm gonna share something practical that I had to do, and I hope that somebody else um, can take this and implement. I had to have a pretty good sit down moment with myself over Renee, what are your wants and what are your needs? Okay, that's a, that's a hard place to be sometimes because I want to go do everything and anything with my friends and family right now, okay? What do I need? I needed in that moment some um, non-virtual, face-to-face -face human interaction with those that I cared about, okay? So I had to think about health guidelines, contact the people, my friends, my family, who is willing, how can we do it? And the backyard, let's sit in a chair with a mask on and talk is what I needed. So I found a way to be connected with others and follow our safe guidelines that are laid out by our public health department. And that helped me a lot. And Same. I wanted to, to bring out another kind of principle that I heard from you is um, being mindful about separating what you want and what you need. And often those two, th those two things are 
varying degrees of the same thing, right? So you said you wanted to be with all of your people all the time. What you needed was just some in-person interactions. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about then when you identify what you really need for your mental health, then how can you, how can you achieve that? How can you, how can you get what you need in safe ways? Yep. Yeah. If we want tangible ideas um, of, of how to treat our mental health during this time, um, you know, one that's been real for me is reducing screen time. Mm. Um, and uh, I think it's extremely important and it's going to become increasingly important. Um, you know, it's, it's obvious and we all know it's coming, but you know, I feel like it's game of Thrones here. You know, the winter is coming outdoor activity is is going to be limited we need to you know that for for a lot of people including me that means increased time in front of the tv computer and phone um and those things are not mindful activities sometimes they are sometimes they are um but they're not super mindful activities um another one would be um to, to be monitoring your anxiety level checking in with yourself of where i'm at today um, one simple way of understanding anxiety is to either be way ahead of yourself or way behind yourself. That's what we mean by being present. It's kind of an overused saying, but it's it's very important. So when, when you have one foot in the future or one foot in the past, you've stepped over the present moment. And so a lot of times I, um, I check in with myself, where am I at mentally today? Where did I spend a, the, the, the majority of my day worrying about stuff in the future or ruminating on things in the past? Um, and that's a tangible thing that we can do and that will become more and more important to do, I think, um, during this time. Kate, what about you? What are some things that that you've been able to do that have helped your mental health in these days? I think the first one, since I'm not going to be able to narrow it down to just one, the first one is routine. Um, that's been really important to me. I did not have a good routine for the longest time that got you know a little bit out of whack, and I really saw that impact my own mental health. And so I've gotten back to getting into a routine, which has been really helpful. Um, it's something that I can control. And with that, every day now, I make a list of the things that I can control and the things that I can't. And the list of things I can't control, I have a lot of fun shredding that up every day and kind of mm. helps me release some of that uh, tension that I have. And then I implement a goal around one or two things on the things I can control list. So I love it. Yeah. So getting my body moving for 30 minutes out of the day, um, I'll do mindful mindfulness walks where I can um, get some of that mindfulness in along with getting my body moving or getting enough sleep at night. Will you be my life coach? <laughs> <laughs> I think my mind is, is has gone to my family as a whole and trying to recognize what each member of my family needs for their for their health right now um, in ways. So my kids, uh, we joke on the podcast that I have 27 of them. I really only have four. Wait a minute. Uh, that's a joke? <laughs> yes, that's yes. a joke. Only four, not 27. It feels like 27 some days. But they're, you know, they're age one to 10, spaced out in there. And they're all so very different. And we talk about strengths on here. My number one strength theme is individualization. And so it makes sense that I think about it in this way. But each of my kids really needs different activities, different interactions with people, different amounts of time with them, 
uh, for them to, to be uh, emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, to then for them to be able to regulate their own emotions. And so um, that's been something that's been really important for, for me and my wife to do and for each other, um, both my wife and I as individuals, is trying to figure out what does each person need for their own self-care and try and provide that. And so my daughter, who is like super extroverted, talk all the time, always need to be with people. We have done a little bit more with her as far as interacting with some other friends than we have with everybody else. It's just, it's finding that right balance where you still keep, keep the safe guidelines. You still, you still teach those pieces, but then you, you do what you need to do for self-care where my, um, my next in line is super introverted and he would sit in, he would sit and play video games all day if he could. And so trying to figure out what's the, the right balance of that, that's good for still his, his health, but it's not too much. And so each of us, um, and, and then doing that for myself as well, is trying to figure out what are the things that I need and then carving out time in our family to make those happen. So there are times when I leave, my wife is home with my 27 kids and I go do something. There are times when I'm home with the 27 kids and she goes to do something because we all need that space to, for, our, for our own life-giving activities. Uh, life-giving, that's a, a phrase I like to use for, for self-care. Um, and so that's just something I would encourage for, for families to do in these days that everybody just needs a little bit something different um, and carving out a little bit of time. It doesn't have to be much. Like my goal is often one thing a week. I mean, that, that's my goal. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and making sure everybody's getting at least one thing a week that they need <laughs> to, to maintain it in this time. Nice. Keith, I wouldn't be a, a clinician at heart if I, if I didn't mention, I love the um, in individualization. You've talked about this. John has talked about this. We all need different things when it comes to our mental health, and that's okay. Yeah. But that you are also willing to engage your children in that conversation, and that you are changing the trajectory of their lives and their mental health. And I would just encourage anybody who's willing to take that extra step this evening after you listen to this is have that conversation about wants, about needs, about what has meaning and purpose to you. How do I either disconnect or reconnect and find something that brings um, routine to my life? Um, and doing that with your children is extremely important. I, I want to jump in that a little bit more because obviously as a parent, this is something I'm very passionate about, but then also because of my work is, is the mental health of the children and something else that I, I cannot um, stress too much is the importance of, of talking with your kids about what you and they are feeling right now. And then when they're interacting with other folks who have um, big emotions um, or they're watching something on TV that has big emotions uh, to talk about that. And so like right now, I think one of the phrases that I keep saying when people are asking me, how are you and your family doing right now? I'm, I, I keep getting uh, a little bit shocked by the depth of the question at times um, about working from home and going to school remote. But I say, it's hard, but it's okay. Like, so just acknowledging the fact that sometimes things are tough and talking about that. When the school announced that they're going to prolong remote learning for, for middle school, talking to my daughter about that, how you feel about that. This is what it means. And, and just the significance of having meaningful quality conversations with your kids and recognizing both negative emotions and positive and I say negative as in like the ones that we don't really want to have um, not so much a, a moral judgment upon them when I say yeah, yeah. Two, two truths at the same time again yeah. right um, I'm in a I'm going through a really difficult time things are tough and uh, I'm okay with it 
absolutely. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up this conversation. Thank you all for your great input, listeners. I hope that this was helpful to you as you're navigating these conversations. Um, I want to share two things with you before we wrap up. One is we have a lot of resources on our website uh, that you can use any day, any time uh, for your own self-care or to get out more help. That's at jococov.org forward slash mental health. And uh, you can scroll down there. We've curated some quick links. If you, if there's something you're looking for, you don't see there, reach out to us um, and we will, we'll get that for you. There's just, there's so much there. We have upcoming educational events, training events, things for parents, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, secondly, if you want a little bit more information about the ways that Johnson County Department of Health and Environment and Johnson County Mental Health Center are working together in this public health crisis, uh, you can tune into an episode of JOCO on the go. Uh, it's a podcast from Johnson County government uh, that should be releasing uh, the week of October 5th. You're going to get to hear from Tim DeWeese, the director of Johnson County Mental Health Center, and Dr. Ariola, the director of Johnson County Department of Health and Environment, uh, talking with Teresa Freed from the county manager's office about the ways that our two departments have uh, intersected and, and supported one another during this pandemic. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I'm Keith. I'm Kate. I'm John. I'm Renee. And it's okay if you're not okay.